episode 57, Gun Control? We will kill, right here. A soldier told me that one time, on the banks of the Mara River, on the Serengeti Plain in Africa. I believed him. We had our guns stolen during the night, and the anti-poaching unit had come to find them. The young soldier assured me that they would find the guns. That's when I ask, Will you take them to jail in the rock? His full response was, No, no, they steal guns. We will kill right here. This is Retirement Talk. I'm Del Lowry. Retired people, for the first time in their life, may find time to really soak up the news of the world. I'm not sure that is a plus, but for many retired folks, it becomes their main focus. They read the New York Times, listen to Amy Goodman on Democracy Now!, and watch Keith Olbermann's Countdown. Hours are spent consuming and discussing issues of our time. Sometimes they're referred to as news junkies. I am not one of those people. I try to take my news in small doses. However, there are things in the news that grab my attention. One is the killing of people, especially when it could be prevented or certainly limited. All the killing correlates with the abundant supply of guns in our country. Gun control is an ongoing political and ethical issue in this country. All politicians know that they must never advocate for gun control and hope to be elected. All the murders, yet no one advocates for gun control. At least not gun control as I came to understand it on that African plain, Kenya, 1979. I signed up for one of the first Earthwatch expeditions. We would be camped out in the Maasai Mara Game Preserve. Hyenas were the focus. I was to be a driver, driving one of those Land Rovers. We would be darting spotted hyenas, taking samplings, placing a radio collar around their neck, and locating them periodically with telemetry. We had guns. We would shoot a wildebeest, put a chain around its horns, and drag it around the plane in a circle with a single tree in the center. This would become our shooting tree. We would chain the wildebeest to the base of the tree and place a shooter up in the branches. We would then back off, playing sounds of animals feeding on a kill over our loudspeakers, and wait for hyenas to appear. It was exciting. We had guns for darting the hyenas, and for shooting the bait animals. Law required that we keep our guns in a gun safe. It also required that we keep the safe chained to a tree or bolted to a floor. If we lost our guns, or if our guns were stolen, we would go to jail. Let me repeat, if we lost our guns, we were guilty of a crime. If someone stole our guns, we were guilty of a crime. 
for either infraction, we would go to jail. Now, I call that gun control. You were supposed to keep control of your guns. We kept the guns inside the camp leader's tent, thus not chained to a tree. One night, while we ate dinner, the camp anthropologist's wife went to their tent to check on the baby. She had given birth to a son while on the study. She returned and asked if someone had moved the gun safe. It was gone. We ran to the tent. The canvas had been slit at the back, and the gun safe was gone. The baby was still fast asleep. We all realized the seriousness of our situation. Lawrence, the anthropologist, drove out onto the plane and played the car lights in all directions. Nothing. I took my brilliant cop shop flashlight that had four batteries and walked up a path along the Mara River, shining my light. Stupid thing to do. If I had come upon the thieves, I'm sure I would have been killed on the spot. I found nothing. Lawrence said that he would drive to Kikarok and inform the anti-poaching unit. I was to take his wife as a guide and drive to the guard station on the border between us and Tanzania, tell the guard what has happened, and to be on the alert. It was midnight when we reached the guard station. I remember the drive as slow and long, with thousands of animal eyes forever being reflected by our headlights. When we got to the guard hut, it was a round, white structure. The guard would not come out. We trained our headlights on the building and continued to call out to him. Eventually, he cautiously appeared, dressed in a long, great coat like soldiers wore in World War I. He carried an old Enfield rifle. He shined his flashlight along the walls of his station. It had been shot full of holes only two weeks earlier by border marauders. We related our story and he told me to take him to the local Maasai Manyata, or village. It is sort of like a fort made out of sticks and cow dung. As we were driving towards the camp and the local Maasai Manyata, I told him that Lawrence had gone to Kikarok to inform the anti-poaching unit. Stop, he said. You must let me out here. There was panic in his voice. I asked if it was bad that the anti-poaching unit was coming. Yes, he replied. They will beat people, then ask questions. I asked him what would happen if they didn't get the right answers. He responded, they will kill, then ask more questions. I asked if they would find the guns. Yes, he said, they must find the guns. I let him off. There in the middle of the plane, in the middle of the night, he told me to pick him up at dawn at the local Maasai Manyata. I returned to camp and sat by the fire till close to dawn. Then I drove to the Manyata. I remember sitting, alone, in the pre-dawn, hearing bells that were tied to cows tinkling from inside the Manyata. I saw a figure move behind my Land Rover. A Maasai warrior stood by my door. We exchanged, Jombo, Jombo, 
meaning hello in Swahili. I don't know anything else. He had a spear and a panga or machete. He spoke. I couldn't understand a thing. I remember that his ears were all filled with bones and gaping holes that were the tradition. Bones protruded from his nose. Somehow, we communicated our intentions, or perhaps we failed to communicate, and he disappeared into the manada. The guard soon appeared and told me to return to camp and tell Lawrence that the Maasai would soon be there to find the guns. Within an hour, I was sitting by the campfire when I looked up in complete dismay. Coming single file down into our camp were a group of perhaps 30 Maasai warriors. They were all dressed in the traditional red and also had covered their arms and heads with red okra. They were all armed, spears, pangas, bows and arrows, and war clubs. They talked in Swahili to Lawrence and then moved to the back of the tent where the guns had disappeared. They found Prince. Then all but the leader left, hot on the trail. It was about then that I decided to walk over the little rise and then descend again to the Mara River, where I squatted and threw some water on my face. I realized I wasn't dreaming and it was an amazing situation. That's when I looked just across the stream and saw the combat boots. My eyes followed them up to the anti-poaching unit soldier, standing there, grinning at me, and clutching his black military rifle. This is where I learned about gun control. I asked him if they would find the guns. Yes, we will find them, he said, smiling. Then he went on to inform me that they would kill the thieves on the spot. Gun control is the law in Kenya. Gun control is a far cry from registering your gun. I saw two big green canvas-covered military trucks parked up on the bank on the far side of the stream. Several soldiers were sitting in the back. I returned to camp and again sat by the fire just in time to see an, another amazing sight. Coming down the trail, I had just walked, came four big guys with guns and pangas. They were led by this little dandy of a guy, dressed in white, except for a colorful scarf around his neck. He had on a white shirt, white pants, white hat, and a white pearl-handled revolver. He was smoking a thin black cigar. He spoke to Lawrence, then he spoke to the Maasai and pointed to his watch. It was obvious that limits had been set. The guns were to be found soon. We got word that the Maasai had found the trail of the thieves and were tracking them across the plain. The four big guys, or soldiers, dressed in green, relaxed on a slope overlooking the camp, smoking cigarettes and laughing. Word came back. The guns had been found. The thieves had broken open the gun safe. They had taken the passports, the jewelry, and the cash. The guns 
were left in the safe. They knew not to take the guns. The Maasai were happy. The anti-poaching unit drove out on the planes to confiscate the guns. Lawrence was not arrested. However, his study was halted for over a year. My view of what constitutes gun control changed forever. Now when I read of murders in our country, when I hear about resistance to registering guns, I recall that lesson learned in Africa. This is Retirement Talk.